I needed to have better expectations of what growth was going to look like. Mm. The third was yeah. I, I needed to, when it wasn't working, I needed to stop and I wouldn't let myself do it. I could have, because in the end, it ended up being a huge financial loss for uh, the people that, that backed me in it. We never made money in it. We never, uh, and by the time I reached the end, I knew enough at that point how to turn it around, but I was exhausted. Hey, welcome to episode 15 of the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is host James Marland, and today we're going to talk about lessons learned when scaling fails. And David really opens up here about one of his first ventures that didn't go quite as planned. And he he really addressed it with some candor and some perspective about what what went right and what went wrong and how he how he started how it started to grate on him and wear him down emotionally um there's a lot of good things to learn from this episode uh as david said in a previous episode you can learn from somebody's so you everybody learns from pain you can learn from your own pain or somebody else's pain and i just appreciated david as he talked about some of his pain and the struggles and how it just wasn't fun building this and that and then what he would do differently and the things that he would change and how he how he would get advice from people ahead of time so that's a little bit of what you're headed into here in this episode uh, i created a resource for you so if you go to the show notes there's eight questions to ask before before you get started in your scaling adventure so if you're adding revenue stream or you're thinking about staff or whatever it is use David's advice, use his pain, and use these questions as a jump off spot for your own exploration and getting advice from somebody who's done something like this before. And that's one of the big things David said. He just wish he, he had all these plans and dreams and he wished he would have talked to somebody who had done it before. And so I created a resource for you. You can find that link in the show notes and I would appreciate um, you know, any feedback on that, because uh, I'm here to help people scale. So you're going to really enjoy this episode. Uh, David goes a little deep with, with what he's doing and thinking and feeling and the lessons he learned. And we can all take a, we can all take a page from that book to learn the lessons from somebody else. So we don't have to make those mistakes. All right, on with the show. Psych Maven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice Podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it. Welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland with Dr. David Hall. Hello, David, how are you? I'm doing well, James. In this episode, we're gonna talk about when scaling fails and the uh what to do when that happens uh but first we're going to talk about our tool tip 
or tech of the week. And I'll go first. And I like using the program Descript. It's something that I discovered a couple months ago for editing audio and video. Dave, did you did you suggest this to me, David? Did you? I think so. Like I, I think I was the the originator of it. At least, no, no. I, let me let me clarify. For you, I think I was like I heard about it from uh, the online course guy, online course mm -hmm. show podcast. And I started using it around the same time for a different project. And I, it's really cool. It, it's quite um, intelligent. Yeah, um, and I might have talked about it before, but I, I just, <laughs> I use it every day, basically, because I'm doing some content creating. And I really like it for the ease that I can upgrade the audio, the, the way that I can edit. Uh, video and add quickly add little flares and um, video. It has a video library I can put over top of me talking. <laughs> I did that recently. Or if I if I make mistakes, I can easily edit the text. It transcribes the things that I say, and then I can transcribe it. And I think one of the features I didn't talk about maybe was called overdub, which it learns my voice. And if I say something wrong, I can select the phrase and type out a new phrase and it re-records my voice right over top of the messed up part. And it sounds pretty good. I mean, if you're just listening to it and you didn't know it was overdubbed, you would have a hard time saying, oh, a computer recreated his voice. It sounds more like it's good for snippets. Like I've seen people do it for like longer sentences. Yeah, and it's it, not it, not the same. Yeah, not not quite the same. It it feels it, it makes me think a bit about for those who remember the '90s movie Men in Black, and mm -hmm. um, Vincent D'Onofrio's character as an alien inside a person's body. It's kind of stilted <laughs> in that sense, is what it what it makes me think like. But the uh, anyway. Yeah, so if uh, is my tech or of the week, it is it's pretty good. And if you're creating content, it's a wonderful tool, not super expensive. Mm -hmm. All right, what's your what's your tip or tech? My, my tip, and it's related to what we're going to talk about today. Uh, when you have any idea, it might feel pretty original to you, and it may be fairly original, but if we explore enough usually there's somebody there, if we're thinking about something we want to do there's somebody who's done something similar mm -hmm. and if you are looking at a new venture make sure to take time to find and talk to somebody who's done something or in the closest approximation that you can and talk to them and ask questions and because this is we're going to talk today about when scaling fails and i have a story about that a big one and that was something I, I, I went into the thing with a lot of research. I researched a lot, but what I didn't do was talk to a person mm. and ask the questions of, Hey, I'm thinking about this. I see you've done something similar. I would have asked the questions like, what's been great about this? What are the things that you didn't know before you went into it that you wish you would have known now? What are the things you regret? What are the things? And it may have been a lot of work to find a person to be willing to have that to have that conversation with me. It it would have involved finding a pretty unique person, and then then being willing to talk with me, and that may have required 
uh, some time, but it would have been invaluable uh, in that. So right. whenever thinking about something to scale, seek out other people. As you can learn information, as you can find blogs or articles or YouTube videos or whatever it is, that's helpful. But when you can actually talk to a person, because if, if somebody has a YouTube video on a topic, they're usually often trying to sell the idea. Right. And part of talking to a person is you need to be able to, to hear about like, what about this was hard or what about this didn't work? The stuff that doesn't often get included in pitchy sorts mm -hmm. of material. So anyway, that's my tip. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, see see what is working for somebody else and figure out what what they're doing that made it work. And also the the situations, um, it's really hard to take somebody's idea, you know, from a, even from a YouTube video or something and put it right into your company or to your place because there are unseen forces that you don't know about at your culture that uh, that can play either a, a, like a sale or an anchor to the new idea. So it's good to talk and dig a little bit. So that kind of leads us to our main topic. When scaling fails, you were talking, we've had a few conversations about this uh, where you wanted to add another product or a product line to your business as a psychiatrist, right? And um, I'll get us started and just ask, ask a couple questions about that and you tell your story. And I'll keep asking, you know, what what were some of the decision points you made? But yeah, you you had a group practice, right? And you decided you wanted to add a psychiatrist. Was that the... that? It's funny that that is. Um, I think for people who are in this situation, that probably would be the starting point, the natural starting point. I, uh, I actually was, was in reverse. And uh, but if you're listening, you know that could be part of what you're thinking you have a group therapy practice a counseling psychotherapy practice and well if i i want to add a medical provider to add some complementary services so my way of getting there is a bit more circuitous and okay. not not typical but it was so i worked i was an employee for a group therapy practice this is how it starts i already had a teaching business and I was doing some consulting already at this point, but my role as a therapist was as an employee. I worked for another group. And I, um, because of other opportunities I was presented, I, I was presented with some startup capital to try something. I had been working uh, in a startup process for a drug and alcohol uh, treatment center, a residential treatment center, and that had gone, started well. And we were looking to start something uh, as a as a companion program to that that I was going to lead uh, as as uh, as an executive director sort of thing, and mm -hmm. that uh, ended up not happening because of the the partnerships involved. It just didn't come together. Okay, but I had already kind of earmarked to start something, and then the I was given the opportunity to say like, well, this thing we were thought we were going to do isn't going to work. What do you have any other ideas? And I had a few different ideas I presented uh, to the investors, and, and one of them was a psychiatry practice. And they said, why oh, I like you, that idea. Yeah, why did you think that was going to work? Like, what was the, the, the thought behind as a, as a group, that idea? As a, as a therapist in the community that I was in, I often would need psychiatry referrals. 
Okay. And uh, not all the time, not for a lot of my clients didn't need to see a psychiatrist, but enough did. And I knew how hard it was to get a psychiatry for connection. sure. It was, yeah. there was a lot fewer of them in the community. The, there were a handful of ones that I would send people to, but it would sometimes take weeks and weeks and weeks sure. yeah. to get them in. And so that kind of showed me that this was a high demand industry. And at the time, this was around 2015 that this was happening. And uh, the it's in at the time we were recording this in 2023, I feel there's a lot more available in psychiatry, at least in my community, for what is called mid-levels. So commonly nurse practitioners, mm. so not physicians, but uh, nurse practitioners or physician assistants. And there was fewer of those available at the time, but I knew that was an option that I thought was being underutilized. And so I had this idea of what if we start a psychiatry practice that's very nurse practitioner forward in a lot of the, the providers, and we can scale that way because nurse practitioners, there were more programs locally producing them in um, with a mental health psychiatric specialty. And I had a friend that worked as a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I thought, well, I could put this together. So, but to your question, James, I saw a need. Yeah. And I had worked in adjacent sorts of things. I never worked in anything medical directly before outside of mental health, of non-medical mental health. But I thought, I, I, I see the need. I have some relationships. I think I could put it together. So I presented that and, and the, the decision maker said, I like that idea. Let's go with that. So that's how I ended up. So I did not have a group practice yet. <laughs> okay. Well, it seems like a solid idea. Just from my experience working in psych, uh, in men, uh, mental health, mm -hmm. it, it always, people were always looking for psychiatric services. In fact, when the mm -hmm. program I managed was a, assisted psychiatric evals where a master's level person would take a lot of data and do most of the paperwork and then mm -hmm. present the case to the psychiatrist so that they could see more people and and just do their psychiatry stuff not the paperwork not the 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 referrals we did a lot of like co coordination of care things for them mm -hmm. so that they could get in rapidly and that has just been my I've never I don't know. Have you ever been to a place where they have too many psychiatrists or, no. or medical practitioners? I just have never, I've never heard of it. So mm -hmm. it seems like a solid idea just from the out, from the outset. And I will say it was, it wasn't that the idea oh. wasn't solid. <laughs> it was my ability to step into it and lead well in, in certain ways. And so like, yeah, for those considering that as an option, I will say, I feel very confident now of how to guide somebody into adding psychiatry into their practice, particularly if they have an established practice. I've actually thought about doing a course about it, just haven't set the time for it and, and we'll see, but the, in the future, but I, I feel pretty confident in knowing how to do it now. And so, so it, it wasn't yeah. a bad idea. Okay. So that's where the idea came from and uh, what, what came next? So I, I started doing research and as I started with my tip of the day, the one thing I didn't do was find somebody who was already doing it, but I did find people at least, or I did find people that were doing it, but not, um, I never had a conversation. I would like look people up online. I was, I was doing research data and there was about 
um, four or five months of myself and another uh, individual who was an MBA had worked to helping. It was working the startup process with me, and we spent a lot of hours just doing you know uh, the legwork of looking at other models. Yeah, uh, what did, what is some of that legwork when you're thinking? Um, about it was I was looking up. Uh, you know, other psychiatry practices throughout the country. And so I was trying to look at models of how people advertise, but also like, what were the rates people were charging? Right. What was the, uh, when I, I teach people when they're coming up, when they're wanting to do workshops or retreats or things like that, which is something I teach. The first thing I, I encourage people to do is come up with a comp list, a, a, which comp stands for comparables and put it in a spreadsheet where you look at like things side by side okay, what are the, the measurements that we're looking at? You know, what are, how many providers does this place have? Uh, what's their market? Like what community city are they in? What are they charging? So look like digging a little deeper, not just like yeah. looking at the surface, but seeing where, where these different practices, successful and maybe non-successful yeah. stack up with, mm -hmm. with some of the data that would be useful to you. How many do they see? What do they pay? Yeah. What are the, what are the prices? What is the marketing? Yeah. Um, and some of that girls. too, was I was looking at of hiring, like what, what should I expect to pay for somebody sure. in this? But you were talking James about care coordination. That was part of my idea was I thought, Hey, let's have some care coordinators. That's what we call mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. People that were, um, a far less uh, expensive per hour. Oh, for sure. That basically they did the case <laughs> management sort of thing and just, you know, teed things up for the, for the mm -hmm. prescriber. And that was my idea. It was a great idea, but the, I still think it was a great idea, but, but the implementation. So you got to find the right, I mean, you got to find the right prescriber for that mm -hmm. because, uh, there were some prescribers that came through the department who liked the model and liked seeing the rapid people and they felt like connected. And there are other ones that were like, well, I miss, you know, those ancillary things. I miss doing that. And they, they weren't the best fit for that type of program, but that's a, that's an aside. Some people don't yeah. want any of that stuff and they just want to see the people and other people like to take an extra 20 minutes or whatever to, to really wrap, wrap mm -hmm. it out. So anyway, that was, my it, it was, I, Here's where it, it didn't. So I think the, the concept was good. Here's I'll, I'll highlight the things that didn't work and the pivot from that. Sure. So first level things that didn't work was uh, high level uh, leadership, myself included. And I, I want to be mindful here because I don't want to be throwing anyone under the bus or, or sure. speaking ill. But, but uh, it was myself. Uh, then I ended up finding a psychiatrist and the idea was that the psychiatrist would, would lead the medical team and that most of the work would be done by psychiatric nurse practitioners. And that was the, mm -hmm. the goal. Um, and then also hired a, a practice manager, somebody who had worked in the medical side of things in the past. And, you know, for these other people, they were in different phases of career. Some of it was early in our startup phase. Uh, we had some quick turnover. The the person I was working with in who was kind of the COO, the MBA, mm -hmm. uh, they ended up leaving the project pretty early in the, the gestation of it because they had an part of it was is they were in a new relationship and their their 
soon-to-be spouse was looking to live somewhere else. And so some of them just family-related. Had another job opportunity, so it just shifted. And so that kind of created some some things. And then, but we still had what on paper should have been enough of an executive level team. The, the, the question that comes to my mind, is there anything you can do to prevent those types of things or to prepare for staffing changes? Because it sounds like that was pretty disruptive. And when whenever I was running my company, staffing changes were they were, they were, they were the devil. I, I don't know what to yeah. say. They were just like, yeah, it is. It's, it's one of the most expensive the meteor to your, yeah. to your earth. Yeah. So it was one of the most expensive things in any business is staff turnover. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's an interesting question. In this situation, I don't think so. Right. And, uh, but I could have pivoted better and, and mm-hmm. that was, but Basically what it was is I came in with, I've not, I had not led anything like this before. Like I said, I had gone from being an employee to, I had led my own teaching business, but that was a very low, like I didn't have staff for that. That was just me. So that was a really solopreneur sort of deal. Mm -hmm. I didn't have experience in leading a team. And a lot of my foibles, a lot of my shortcomings get really highlighted in this. And and so some of it for me was, and I've said this in episodes before, I'm not a great manager. I'm better at it than I used to be. But some of the the things that make me not a good manager is I have a hard time uh, in holding, I'm a people pleaser or I'm I'm inclined Mm -hmm. to that until Mm -hmm. I get just fed up and that's just, that's a different thing. But I, I can overly accommodate. And part of that is I don't always set good boundaries and there's, and this is a job that needed that because I was dealing with a lot of staff and a lot of, and, and, um, a lot of personalities and I needed to set better boundaries and hold people to them. So that goes to agency. Do you feel like you were, so, so I, I fall into this trap too, where I, I fall into the people pleasing rather than working for the business and making the mm-hmm. best decisions for the the company i'm an agent of the business i like you as a person mm-hmm. but there's something i got to either address or bring up or mm-hmm. con- have some sort of conflict rather than saying nothing <laughs> basically avoiding the conflict and saying nothing so where d- does that hit anything it does what? absolutely like there's some of that and part of it was my i i was inclined to take on the responsibility for whatever needed to be fixed on my own uh, and yeah. and yeah. so that meant I was putting in effort and extra hours and doing things of, yeah. you know, uh, of and so there was a lot of that. Um, I there was poor payment models. Part of it was as I looked at this model of like what does a nurse practitioner make, and so I was paying people on salary, which was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were doing that before we even had patients kind of coming in. And so we were running at a deficit from the beginning. From the beginning, yeah. Uh, my my goal was, is how do I close it quick enough? The problem was, and I, I here's, here's I guess, a, to, so number one thing that, that I failed at was uh, my capacity to lead a, a, a company this complex staffing-wise was not, I did not have the experience of maturity and honestly, it's not something I would choose now in this sort of way because there were there were too many moving pieces of there were medical providers, there were support staff care coordinators, there was receptionists. Now, part of it was that I was looking for these other leadership 
positions to manage those differently than they did. Mm -hmm. And there was, I wasn't the only one deficient in my managerial duties. It sounds like you grew really fast without the supports to uh, the strong, the strength to uh, sustain mm-hmm. it. There was that. So there was, there was the deficiency there. Uh, one was um, I had, I, I miscalculated how quickly we could grow. Cause I looked at like, Hey, there's a big need for psychiatry in my community. There are enough providers. We'll be full in no time. You open the doors and you'll have to beat the people away. And the truth was we did get referrals starting at the very beginning, but here's some, a model I didn't realize. I had only worked the model as a outpatient counselor and looking at like how many new clients, patients do I need as a counselor to get full. And for medication management in most outpatient settings, it works at a very different scale. Whereas I will take on a new client and see them weekly or maybe every other week, but usually not less than that. So what it takes for me to fill up a week doesn't take a lot of clients. Yeah. Yeah. But a med provider will do an assessment and maybe like, I'll see you in two weeks. And then after that, six weeks. And then the follow-up yeah. appointments are for 15 minutes, not an hour. Yeah. So I did the math and it was something like one full-time scheduled medication provider on the model we worked, which was, you know, average follow-up appointments being 15 to 20 minutes. So three mm-hmm. an hour based on the general frequency that they did one nurse practitioner if every one of their patients saw a therapist one nurse practitioner would have a caseload to fill 70 therapists it was highly disproportional so yeah yeah what that meant was is like when i would have three nurse practitioners four nurse practitioners one of my main roles in the business was to uh go out and drum up work. I, I was the main marketer. I was going out, mm-hmm. uh, I was delivering edible arrangements. That's one of the big things I did to like a different, mm-hmm. provi- I mean, mm-hmm. I was the one meeting with counseling center owners and other referral partners. I did a lot of marketing and I will say I did not fail at that. What I didn't anticipate was how many referrals we need to be generating to fill up the providers we had. So I it was, sounds like you had multiple providers. We did because part okay. of it was, is that, uh, we would bring in people and we would, we would look at like, okay, well, if we're going to grow, I, I kept on, it's like Amazon, like we're not profitable yet, but we've got to get mm-hmm. our capacity there. And so I was bringing on people. We never reached profitability. We never, and we, you know, we were generating tens of thousands of dollars a month, uh, for I, I I developed contracts for us. We we had general patients, but then we also uh we started doing telehealth contracts. And this was in 2016, 2017. That's pretty early. Early. <laughs> and we were really on the, the edge for telehealth contracts and we were providing in different states. And anyway, it was a it was a big process. And but so the first bit was managerial. Second bit was I didn't realize how much we needed, how much it needed to be fed. Mm. to really kind yeah. of get it going and then uh the third thing and this is the, is that when stuff wasn't working this i could go back to managerial when stuff wasn't working i wasn't willing to walk away i felt like i just i'll just put in more energy and again some of it was the other leadership in fed some poor expectations you know, it would be like well next month you know in two months we'll get it or something like that and and that wasn't the case and i don't know 
if, if it was their own wishful thinking or what other things were, but, um, I had this idea of why I don't want to quit. I don't want to be a quitter. Right. And here's, here's a reflection on it, James. Like, you know, I, I, I needed to be a better manager and hold people accountable. Even not being a naturally good manager, I going back now, I would have needed to hold accountability for, sure. for people in that differently. I needed to have better expectations of what growth was going to look like. Mm. The third was yeah. I, I needed to, when it wasn't working, I needed to stop and I wouldn't let myself do it. I could have, because in the end, it ended up being a huge financial loss for uh, the people that, that backed me in it. We never made money in it. We never, um, and by the time I reached the end, I knew enough at that point how to turn it around, but I was exhausted. Mm -hmm. I did not have the capacity to do it anymore. And so, and I will say part of the silver lining is the company I started still exists. I, uh, I, we, we did a transfer of ownership to the employees, the, the high level people left. There was, uh, the, so the, the other executive level people went on to go do something different. But at that point we were serving thousands of patients wow. in our community and the nurse practitioners, um, we had one particular nurse practitioner who had worked as an, as a director level position in previous jobs. And so they had experience in that and they said, Hey, we want to keep going. And so we, we allowed them to kind of take over the business and we, we did kind of a, a transfer of ownership where they assumed certain liabilities and, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the word, but like they, they, uh, made us non-liable for these, mm -hmm. for, for certain things, but. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, you know, this wasn't like a sale. It wasn't like we, we, yeah. but it allowed the business to keep going. And I felt, I feel very good about that because the business is going now and is successful, but it needed to run very differently than how it was being run at the time. And it needed different people in decision-making and leadership, holding other people accountable. And, but I think the biggest lesson I was, is for myself, I didn't have, uh, I learned a lot about myself in the process. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about the industry that I didn't know about that some deeper conversations would have been. And I needed, to, but looking back, I look at like, I should have pulled the plug on this sooner and would have lost less money if I had done it sooner. I, or I should have made harder pivot sooner. But I had my identity wrapped up so much in the success or failure of this. Yeah. And that's what needed to stop. And that that's the, um, whenever you try anything, anyone listening, whatever idea you have, your idea might work, but you'll have lots of ideas that won't. That's the nature of any sort of creative endeavor or the version, even your ideas that do work, oftentimes it will not be their first draft. You'll go through some iterations of it before it really works. And that's okay. That's not failure. That's right. Yeah. It, it, that's the learning process of scaling. Well, my, and I've lived with this for a long time. I, I want to make things right. So I research and plan, but don't always get started. And you mm. can't do your best thing. If you don't do your first thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> you gotta, it's like one of the, one of the mantras of being an entrepreneur is you gotta get out there and start something and try something. 
and and we've talked about this in the past the identity thing is so key because if you see your if your if your worth rises and falls on how good you do you're going to ride the roller coaster of your life or you're going to say i'm not even going to get on and i'm just going to go straight but you're not get, getting anywhere yeah so yeah uh, that identity and getting ready to start or start something and see yourself as the the scientist right the the one that does the experiment and you look at the data, did it, did it prove my hypothesis? Did it give me more data or did it, uh, did, did it fail completely? Uh, there, I read a book, the startup J curve. It talks all about like how there there's, uh, there, there's that cycle that you go through. So, mm -hmm. you know, and it, that was for me and I learned so much. It was, it was a hugely valuable education for me. I became a much better business owner, but what happened at the end of that is I needed to do something at the end of that as, and so that's when I started my group counseling practice. And, oh. and part of it was at the same time, I had been doing some adjunct teaching and I had two of my students from grad school who were graduating and were looking for jobs and I was a supervisor. And so that was how group practice started was I was leaving the, the psychiatry business. Mm. And I needed to do something. And honestly, it was a huge. So I, again, it, I did it backwards where I started something much harder and then moved into group practice. And group practice was way easier because I had far fewer variables to manage. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had been marketing for medication providers and then helping psychotherapists market was way easier. I needed, we needed a lot fewer patients to make that a full schedule. Uh, but I was a much better group practice leader having gone through the failed startup. Mm -hmm. I would have loved those lessons more cheaply and with less <laughs> heartache, but it's how it came to me. But what I, I look at, it's not that like I feel I didn't lack determination. That wasn't where I struggled. I, I lacked boundaries. I lacked realistic assessment in certain areas. And you have to be willing to walk away. And because anything, any number of things you're going to try, any, there, it could be business partnerships. It could be product lines. It could be, there's a, it's like Kenny Rogers talks about in The Gambler. Mm -hmm. You got to know when to walk, walk away and you got to know when to run. So, but like, it's the, and because if you get, if you're too, you know, you can have passion for what you do. But it's important, I think, to have a certain level of indifference, of cultivating indifference is something I talk about. Indifference does not mean not to care. Indifference means not to personally identify with. Right. You are not your business. You are not your right. practice. You are not like you are. You work in your practice. You work in your business, but it's not you. And to have that identity differential creates a lot of freedom. Because. If I had had more of that, I would have, I think, looked at it differently to say, like, this isn't really working. How do I pivot to either change how it's functioning? And, and part of the reason it was my codependent slash poor managerial things that kept me from pivoting because there were certain things I felt needed to be different, but it would have involved moving some people out of the business. And relationally, I wasn't willing to do that. Mm -hmm. But I didn't save anything in the end. It was in the end, those relationships moved that way yeah, anyway. That make, yeah, it happened anyways, just a, yeah. lot, a little bit further down and a little more expensive. Absolutely.
Yeah. And, and I think Mike McCallowitz talks about this in one of his books about uh, you're going to have to make those decisions eventually. And the best yeah. thing to do is to prepare people rather than being like one week, you can't pay anybody. And now everybody. And that's what it, I mean. It would be. Yeah. It was an intense period of stress. I was deeply unhappy. Um, mm. Core people in my life could see it. My family saw it. My, my wife saw it. My, you know, it was, I, but I, I was just so stressed and I just felt like, and, and one of my business advisors asked me toward right before it fell apart. He asked me, he goes, well, are you having fun? And that, it, that, that irritated me you know, in that question. Cause I said, who said this was supposed to be fun right now? Like, I'm not trying to not have fun, but like, this is, I'm just trying to keep this alive. Hmm. And, and to do business isn't going to be fun in every moment, but there was no joy anywhere at, at towards the end. I was just constantly feeling like I would, I, I know one of the, key things was this was towards the end of the the life cycle of this endeavor was i had just secured a telehealth contract with a guaranteed income of it was something like forty thousand dollars a month of like of a, of a contract and that was on top of other things we were doing and i worked really hard in negotiating the contract it was a lot of like back and forth and i'm not an attorney but i had a i was writing up the contract and all the details and things like that and uh, and they agreed to it. They got, I got the end, got this deal where it was a guaranteed additional income. And my wife asked me, she goes, aren't you happy? And I wasn't really, mm. because I just felt like I could see the bucket that this was being poured into and it didn't fill the bucket yet. And I thought this is, I'm, this is bad when I can add this much revenue on top of what we're already making. Whatever. Yeah. And it's still not enough. And, and because I also knew that like the, the, knockdown effect of this contract would be new expenses would come up that the people I was working with would want new expenses to pay for. And then it was just, anyway, it was, um, I I'm, I'm very happy though, not to do that anymore. Uh, if, if you're considering doing it now, I'll end with this. If someone says like, cause I don't want to dissuade people from doing a medical service if they have a vision for it, but here's how I would have done it differently. Um, yeah. I would have done it much, much slower. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. that you came to that realization after the fact. It was it was building it all at once. And you know, yeah. I would I had the mantra in my in my mind from the movie Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't a helpful mantra. It was I, I've become a much uh, firmer believer of the lean startup. Mm -hmm. Most things I do right now, I try to take a lean startup. A mindset of how to do this in the most economically uh, efficient way possible. Isn't that a book, The Lean Startup? I think so. It's talked okay. about it in a lot of different people. Okay. And I think it probably is a book, but the uh, so much firmer believer that if, if what I was would be doing now, if, um, if I had a group practice, like a group counseling practice, which I do and was looking at this, I would look at having one part time person. Mm -hmm. and see what that would take and 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 i would take notes like how long did it take for them to get full how long to like and some of one of the things would happen i would hire people because good candidates would come up and i would be fearful that i would lose them so i would i would make hires before we were really ready financially because it's like well mm -hmm. and i i should have let those things go i should have been and that's something i've learned even as a 
as a group practice over owner, as a therapy practice owner, of that I have to let good candidates pass on by sometimes because if it's not the right timing for the business, trying to force it to work outside of the right timing just doesn't work. But I would have done it much more slowly, allow it to build much more organically because I was scrambling all the time because I, I had multiple providers I was trying to keep full. And, and one of the things too is, is even for the providers, they got used to getting, making their salaries by only seeing like, you know, a third or a half of right. patient load. And one of the things that happened is we got fuller. They wanted more money because <laughs> they were used to like, well, I made this much money when I was seeing this many right. patients. Now I'm seeing twice as many. Right. I should make more money. And I just like, this is, I went through this backwards. I should have, um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't pay people salary if I was starting out. Again, I, I would, uh, I wouldn't have been able to get full-time people right away, but I would have. But the business I, couldn't sustain the full-time people. No, not, it was all debt. out of the gate. No, it was, it was at the beginning, it was just all debt. Yeah. Of, of just kind of coming in and, um, so, and, but that's because I would not have let myself develop that debt. So is that your, so, is that your one thing? The one thing you want people to remember? Or do you have another one thing that you. That's probably the one, th the one thing is, is that like. Lean and slow is great. There's, there's any number of ideas. If you have a different idea of what to start, there's so many things you could spend money on. If your vision is to start an online course, uh, James and I have been in this process as James has been starting that for the first time. And there's yeah. so many tools and tech and <laughs> subscriptions that you can buy at the beginning. Yeah. So many. And you can justify it sometimes in the moment, but my encouragement, whatever you're starting, start at the leanest way possible. You can always spend money, more money later, but it's easier to be successful and spend more money than it is to scale back. Because mm. sometimes you get dependent on your systems and uh, uh, scaling back's harder. Great. Uh, so my one thing is, uh, is embrace reality. I think uh, we, we talked about looking at the data and then making the needed decisions. I, uh, one, one of my problems, I think, was running a business was like running on hope, hope you know, <laughs> instead yeah. of running on the data and reality, there's one more client, one more month, one more great staff, one more, you know, big contract. And then then we'll be we'll be, be um, ahead instead of like looking at, well, maybe we're spending too much money on this resource now build, you know, as you said, build up to it. So look at the data, embrace reality and make some great choices. Sound Absolutely. good? That's good. All right. So this has been James Marlin with Dr. David Hall. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. I really love producing these every week and listening to the advice from the, the therapists and the other people. Uh, make sure you check out the show notes. There's a lot of links in there from the books we talked about, the podcast. There's a link to the handout, the resource, uh, eight questions to ask before you add a revenue stream. Uh, that's a jump off point to get you started. Uh, just a, a shortcut to help you start yes, asking those questions uh, before you start experiencing the pain. Uh, please like and review the show. Uh, we do appreciate the people who have uh, reviewed it and shared it and starred it. 
and written a review that really helps us get discovered. And finally, uh, I'm looking for some people who are interested in uh, adding a, a video course or an online course to what they offer their revenue stream. I'm actually trying to figure out the problems people have when they're doing that. Is it the technical aspect? Is it how do you put the slides together? Is it audience building? Or is it something else that I'm not thinking of? I would really love to talk to you so I can learn about how to help people better. There's no, no selling involved in this, just me getting your advice on what you need for creating new products and new things for your therapy office, because I'm really trying to help therapists uh, grow beyond the chair, grow beyond their, use their therapy skills in either a pivot or just an add-on to what they're already doing. Because there's just a great, um, a great need for people. There's a great need for what you have. And so can I help you get that to more people? Can I help you earn more revenue with that? But first, I need to know what are the problems for getting that out there. So check the check the show notes for my email. I'd love to talk with you. Now on to our disclaimer, the scaling therapy practice and the opinions expressed are of the host and they're not supposed to be specific information or specific advice for your situation. If you need the help of a professional in those areas, please reach out to, you know, a lawyer, an accountant or a therapist. This is also not therapy. Uh, we're, we're, there are opinions and yeah, that's the disclaimer. So thanks for listening and I hope to see you next time.